Hey everyone, Jason here. Before we get going, I just wanted to take a moment to give a quick shout out to the new paid membership option that we recently rolled out. This option is meant for people that have been getting value from the podcast and want to enable us to keep producing it in a more sustained way. It's also for people that want extra stuff, such as bonus content, a Slack room that's vibrant and filled with people tackling climate change from a wide range of backgrounds and perspectives, as well as a host of programming and events that get organized in the Slack room. We also have a virtual town hall once a month where you can get a preview of what's to come and provide feedback and input on our direction. We'll be adding more membership benefits over time. If you want to learn more, just go to the website, myclimatejourney.co. And if you're already a member... Thank you so much for your support. Enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. This is Jason Jacobs, and welcome to My Climate Journey. This show follows my journey to interview a wide range of guests to better understand and make sense of the formidable problem of climate change and try to figure out how people like you and I can help. Today's guest is Mark Freeman, VP of Venture Investments at BHP. BHP, formerly known as BHP Billiton, is the trading entity of BHP Group Limited and BHP Group PLC, an Anglo-Australian multinational mining, metals, and petroleum dual-listed public company headquartered in Melbourne, Victoria, Australia. The company was founded in 1885 in the mining town of Silverton, New South Wales. By 2017, BHP was the world's largest mining company based on market cap and was Melbourne's third largest company by revenue. Now, the Ventures Group is pretty new, so I was excited to have Mark come on the show and walk me through the charter of the Venture Group, how it came about, why it came about, when it came about, how far along they are in terms of deploying capital and formalizing their strategy. We also talked about just the role of corporate venture in general and how much it's treated like a fund and how much of it is off balance sheet and how much financial returns matter versus strategic value for the mothership, if you will. But we have a great discussion and it's exciting not only to learn more about what BHP is up to on the venture side, but also the role of corporate venture in general and what founders can expect when they take money from BHP. Mark, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jason. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to it. Well, thanks for coming. It's so exciting. I think you are definitely the first person that I've talked to from a big mining company so far. And it's fitting because I think you guys also seem to be well, one of the furthest along as it relates to sustainability. I'm caught on that, but I think we are. I mean, I think as a company and then obviously within the ventures arm, you know, sustainability is front of mind as part of the business. So, you know, I think that's an accurate statement. Well, maybe let's just take it from the top. So what is BHP? How do you describe it to someone that you haven't spoken with before? First, I normally need to correct people that it's not BP. Uh, it depends on where they are. I mean, it's, if not the largest, then it's one of the largest natural resources companies globally. I think it's often associated as, you know, as, as you said in the introduction, as a mining company. We do have a, a material energy business out of Houston. The company is has evolved over a long, long history, entrenched originally as BHP in Australia, 
now dual listed um, out of London with global operations. Diversified by commodity, we have in excess of 70,000 employees over 90 locations, $130 billion market cap. It's a prolific company in Australia and part of the footprint of this company. But then globally as a mining or extracting materials companies is one of the largest. Uh-huh. And personally, how did you end up finding your way into the mining industry? And it actually, it looks like you kind of came in and then maybe left and then came back. So yeah, it's we'd love to, we'd love to hear that. Yeah, it's my inner demon. And now I feel good about it. So for me to say, look, I, I had no knowledge in mining, engineering, geology. I still don't. I bluff my way through. But in some conversations, I feel like a genius. And in others, I'm uh, the least intelligent in the room. Um, it's uh, look, studied law and, uh, and finance and I went into banking as one does and I don't know what else to do. Realised that's a bad mistake, go in-house to a, a client, which happened to be BHP. Time I thought it would be for a few weeks and it was all about just basically checking out investment banking because I uh, was dating someone at the time who said it's me or the job. It turned out I loved it. I love the macroeconomic implications of the industry. I love the culture, the company, the quality of the people could att- attract in Australia. And then globally, the opportunities are presented. I end up staying for four or five years, finally saying, I don't want to be in a company like this. I don't want to be in a big company. I'm too entrepreneurial. And having worked in private equity, hedge funds, running money out of the US the last three years, I came home to have a family of my own. I was here in Israel. And we, so I thought about it and just thought, look, you know, the opportunity that presents a company like BHP today in being part of the climate solution is immense and and I'm quite passionate by it and thrilled and privileged the company's fully supportive of the ventures initiative we're running so I'm, I'm finding it really exciting to be back so I am the opposite of an expert on the mining industry but from what I can gather from a distance it is an essential component of not only making our economy run but also of the clean energy transition, but also, I mean, I hear again and again that, you know, mining is a dirty industry. I guess, how do you think about it as it relates to the things that it does well and that are important? I'm not talking about BHP. I'm just talking about the mining industry in general. And then maybe the things that either it doesn't do well or that it needs to do differently looking forwards. Wow. It's a huge question. Where do I begin? Look, I think to start with, as you said, there are perceptions around mining and many of them aren't incorrect. And if you look historically, the industry has been responsible for a number of environmental catastrophes globally. That's tragic. As you say, mining is essential. It's essential to the global economy, as you say. It's also essential to several companies, but it's essential to our day-to-day lives. You know, you look at this podcast where all the tools and technology we're utilising to do this require copper, they require lithium. The desk I'm standing behind is made of aluminum, if not steel. It's everywhere. It's essential. And people will always need commodities. Whether that commodity mix is the same, no, it won't be. You know, that'll change in time. I mean, it'll change as the world electrifies and decarbonizes. It'll change amongst other things too. But people need commodities. People have a choice, though, about which commodities they use and who delivers them those commodities and how they're delivered by those people. And if you ignore sustainability in doing so, you'll lose your license to operate. So as a sector, unfortunately, yeah, I mean, often it's been, like all sectors, profit motivated. But now I think there's an understanding that 
commodities that are in a portfolio, the way in which they're extracted, and then the social license or value that's sort of conferred in doing so is essential to sustainably operating. And, and, and the world needs that. We can talk about wind as a solution. And you look at what you know, wind turbines are made of, commodities we mine. You look at, you know, as I said, the copper wires. It's everywhere. Nickel in car batteries. We could go on and I can talk about the BHP portfolio and how we position for that. But that gives you some colour into your question. And how do you think about that commodities landscape? Are there certain commodities that you think need to be dialed down or phased out over time and others that we need to lean into? And how do you think about stack ranking those priorities and determining how to resource looking at kind of where the world needs to go? It's a fantastic question, and there's no right answer. It's different for every company, and it's different from a demand based on regions. So, you know, the developing world needs different commodities than a developed world. Where there's mass infrastructure build, your reliance on certain bulk commodities is very different than in other parts of the world. But ultimately, you know, if you look at things like the key parts of the so-called climate problem, steel, cement, they're going to be part of our world the foreseeable future. So it becomes a question about how they are, the technology, but also the way in which more generally they're extracted. But then from a broader portfolio composition, your BHP does have what we call, uh, in our CEO, Mike likes to call future-facing commodities. And in that regard, you know, you look at our big businesses. We have an iron ore business. It's been a part of a $20 billion business. But other commodities, which you ignore, copper business is a $10, $11 billion business. We have a large nickel operation. Nickel and copper are essential in the batching materials chain. They're essential in electrification. We're very bullish on demand for those. There are a whole bunch of other niche commodities that you see in consumer electronics that are going to grow as the world needs. But then, so commodities like is a renewable energy a commodity? Maybe, maybe not. We can debate that. There's a debate about whether, you know, listening to some of Shale's podcasts around carbon removal and drawdown is carbon itself a commodity one day. So I think depending on which demand area you're trying to service and depending on each company making its own portfolio strategy decisions, there's no right answer, but each company will choose its answer. And we have had what we call our future-facing commodities. And when you look at some of the ways that the mining industry has been dirty or detrimental historically, I mean, you mentioned catastrophes or accidents for example, is is that the primary way, or when you think about something like GHG emissions, for example, is that a big factor in mining? How does that kind of portfolio of detrimental symptoms get allocated? It depends. I think uh, is the answer to your question on what you're mining. You know, if you look at our, I'll talk for BHP here. If you look at our scope one and two emissions footprint. It's a key consideration for our company and we've made a commitment to get that to net zero. If you look at where that comes from, yes, there's certain processes at site that are emissions intensive and energy intensive, primarily which require high off large sort of diesel consumption at site. But if you look really at where the mining footprint or the GHG footprint of our operations are, it's actually outside operations in our value chain emissions. It's the production of steel with our upstream commodities, with the iron ore and, and metallurgical coal, that is a cause of emissions. Do I see that as a sin of the mining industry? Personally, no. I see that as part of the current technology required to produce materials that the world is needing. 
you see mining as part of the solution to help drive new technologies to produce either the same equivalent materials to meet needs, doing so in a much lower GHG footprint manner. So as you think about the future of mining, what are some things that will be very important for the mining industry to retain? And then what are the key things that as an industry, mining needs to change? And how do they need to change those things? Wow. Again, a big question. If I break it down, what I say is if you look at what we need to do first in our operations, so let's not question the commodity set that the world's demanding for now, but let's come back to that. But if you take it within the actual sites and the operations, BHP for a long time now, you know, well beyond, you know, ahead of many of the peers out there globally, has been talking about maintaining our social licence. I think we recognise that there are stakeholders that permit our operations to thrive as they do. And their local communities, primarily our workforce, governments, our customers, and making sure we're good custodians of the land. And that's not just GHG. That's broader. That's water. It's forestry. It's a whole footprint element, as well as looking after the interests of our local communities and our workforce, is going to be fundamentally continue. It has been for a long time. I think that now, and we've spoken about this publicly, We've said, you know, it's no longer about maintaining a social license. It's actually about creating social value and actually adding value to those communities in which our operations are entrenched. So I think there's that element. I think the next element relating to decarbonisation is actually lowering our scope one and two footprint at site. I think that's really important and I think it's very feasible and I think the technology exists already today to largely get to a significantly lower GHG footprint in many of our operations. And I think that's also a function of some of BHP's operations, which we can get to later. I think going forward, as you say, the commodity mix will change. Our world is forever changing. It has. You know, commodities that were part of BHP's history, lead, zinc, etc., are far less relevant on a global scale than they are today. Other commodities that have been small sort of pockets of demand are growing rapidly. And as a big mining company, you need to be responsive to that, looking for new ways to access those resources and mine them sustainably, many of which will be in countries and in areas and, and, and deposit types that we're uncomfortable with today. So we need to get comfortable with that. And then when it comes to extracting those commodities that the world needs, helping and working collaboratively with our value chain. So is shipping, you know, shipping is a source of emissions. We've got to get our stuff to, to processing facilities and then to customers. Working with our customers insofar as the downstream operations or large emitters of GHG, how do we help make our customers sustainable so there's a big demand for our products? So I think you need to start thinking a lot more outside of just day-to-day site decisions and, and looking at things more holistically. And can you talk a bit about where BHP is in that trajectory? I mean, you mentioned these different areas of where the industry needs to go. What are the key initiatives that BHP has undertaken and where are you in that transition to a more sustainable mining future? I don't want to try to summarize in a sentence what we've spent a lot of time on, but I think I would say we've come an incredible amount. Even look, Let me talk personally on to answer the question. From when I left the company three, four years ago to when I've joined, You know, when I left, I thought we were amongst, if not the leader, in most ESG metrics. We're taking a positive, you know, positive action in almost everything relating to communities, workforce, environment, government stakeholders, customers. I come back now and it's more than just a part of the 
corporate affairs office. It's more than a part of divisional teams. ESG is front and centre of this company. It's part of the business. It is business. Like I think we understand that it's more than just getting a licence to operate. I think we see the future of the company is premised on how we extract these materials and making sure that we extract things in a way and we extract the right things and deliver those things that add value to the world in every way. What have we done? We've made all of this is very public in our climate change report and our sustainability report. We've made commitments around water consumption. We've made commitments on local community spend. We've made commitments to social spend. We've made commitments to local governments, federal governments. We've made large commitments to net zero in terms of our scope one and two emissions ahead of many of our peers. We've recently announced value chain partnerships to some of our largest customers. And we've set up what I'm doing here in BHP Ventures too to actually proactively foster technologies to help position the company to lower its footprint and, and actually to create revenue out of the opportunity presented by climate change. And of course, I want to talk to you about your work in BHP Ventures. But before we go down that path, I mean, making the commitment, these bold commitments about, you know, 2030 or 2050, I mean, obviously that's a starting point. It seems that different companies are in different places in terms of as they make those commitments, how far along they are and how public they are about the plan and the staging and the metrics and the accountability that actually comes with working towards and delivering against what needs to happen to build the bridge to ultimately get to those big audacious goals along the way. So when BHP has made those commitments, what about in terms of the plan? Are you building the plan as you're flying the plane or where are you in terms of actually knowing how as a company you're going to get there? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I think we invest quite heavily and ahead of the curve of many of our peers and work collaboratively with organizations outside of our sector to help define standards for reporting and transparency. Because you say commitments are nothing unless you're actually following the trying to improve upon them. We are very open in what we report. I mean, I'd encourage listeners to, to read through our climate change report, our sustainability report. I can share with you links around that. And I, I mean, I'm and we, really can, we can link to it in the show notes for the episode. Yeah, well. I'll do that because I think that it's a hard question to answer now. But we spend a considerable amount of time and money and have dedicated teams being proactive in defining those standards. And for instance, you know, even an investment in our portfolio is around traceability of GHG emissions and other elements now in our platform. So I think, you know, what what I can say is we fully recognise that a commitment is just that. It's a commitment we need to deliver. And we've committed to publicly disclosing annually our performance and we're very open on that. I'm happy to share with you reports from BHP, but also third parties around how mining companies track all these elements. And it's GHG, but it's more than that. It's quite granular on GHG, but also other metrics, particularly, you know, things around water, around environmental degradation generally, et cetera. You mentioned for, I think there were three buckets you laid out in kind of the transition plan. And the second one was around scope one and two emissions. And you also mentioned that there were some technological innovations that could help to facilitate that. Where are you in identifying where the gaps are and what areas need innovation? And then also, where are you in identifying what the solutions might be and who the providers might be to bring those types of innovations to bear? Hmm. We're some way in that 
before BHP would do something like commit to net zero, we've had a workforce, teams of people across the company actually identifying how we're going to get there and quite a granular plan of a pathway side by side and then holistically as a company. I think we've been public and I'd encourage people to again look to our recent climate change um, releases. But, you know, I mentioned before that diesel consumption is a key element and looking for diesel displacement on the sites is, is really important. That's in our fleet amongst in other areas. More generally, electrification at sites is really important. And I think BHP is blessed with considerable renewable endowment and our major operations, say in iron ore in the Pilbara, with solar, we have access to other forms of renewables. We're actively investing in other areas at sites, many of which aren't traditional venture, so they're not necessarily in my portfolio, but access to things like solar, wind, other forms of energy to help electrify its site, access, as I said, to, to low-emission vehicles, and more generally, just lowering the emission intensity of what we do is a big factor. Lowering, you know, things like Industry 4.0 technologies that just lower the amount of people moving around, lower the mass material movement, lower the energy used in crushing rock. A crushing rock takes a hell of a lot of energy. How do you mine differently to crush less rock? What can you do with that? That's a huge factor. How do we move less rock once we've crushed it? So there's the technologies to actually lower the emissions in what we're doing, but there's actually lowering what we're doing, which is a big factor. Now, as an organization, given that I imagine from a business unit standpoint, especially a huge company like BHP that's so important and operating at such a big scale and been doing it for such a long time that there's quite a bit of institutional knowledge and muscle memory, which can be a really positive thing in terms of keeping the trains running on time, but can sometimes be a barrier as it relates to thinking about how to do things differently. So when it comes to identifying where the highest leverage changes can be, is that coming from within the business units? Is there a dedicated team looking across the business units that's focused on that? What does that process look like and who owns it? It's a great question. What I would say is that in any large organization, be it a big corporate government elsewhere, I mean, anyone, it's hard to change ingrained practices and mindsets. I think that what you would find across BHP, and this is right from anyone at site right up to you know the C-suite office, you'll find people that are passionate about these causes. So people's mindset is people get excited by exploring for new opportunities to help improve the company's footprint and standing and sustainability and therefore to grow its future. I think that's something that I just continues to shock me at PHP, that every single person shares that passion. It's quite an incredible culture. What I would say is that still people are in CLR, people focus on their day-to-day, and particularly in mining where safety is so important, that's appropriate. You lose your focus and people die. So that's really important. I think the part of my job and there's certain teams in the company is to bring the best of external thought into the company. I think people understand the operations quite well. They understand where the emissions intensities come from. To find solutions, it can be challenging. There are solutions in the sort of day-to-day, just someone's idea at site as to how to operate something differently or how to optimise, and they're fantastic. There are then solutions that our large OEMs, you know, your Caterpillars, Komatsu's, others, might bring to us as part of their innovation initiatives that will obviously help lower our environmental footprint. The solutions that our customers might bring to us in terms of our product mix or, else, or otherwise that we can then help tailor to respond to our, our value chain emissions. There are then solutions that teams like mine and the innovation team and, and others go and look for 
proactively externally and look for in other sectors. And that's what I loved about what I'm doing, like just being out there talking to you, talking to environmental investors and other VCs, talking to other corporate VCs from sectors that never traditionally think of mining and realising, hmm, that technology could apply. Could we lower the use of trucks at sites by utilising drones? Sure. Could some smart sensor or an acoustic technology change how we sense what's in materials and, and lower what goes through a processing plant? Sure. And alternative fuels we could recover that we didn't even think of at site. Yeah. There's all sorts of opportunities. Like, do we have massive amounts of underutilised land that could be used for forestry? Yeah. I mean, there's all sorts of things that are coming from the external world that we just hadn't thought of. And being a front door for that is super exciting to me. So as it relates to things like carbon accounting, for example, where does that live? Is there a dedicated sustainability team? Does that flow through finance? And where should it live? I don't know the answer to the last question. I have have views. We do have a dedicated sustainability team. It's very large and and a very important part of the company. There's also sustainability team ingrained in every asset and then in every region. So it permeates the whole company. The accounting team, there's a central accounting team similarly structured like that. I think that at the moment in terms of where carbon accounting and, you know, this as well as I, still has undefined standards and is difficult to operate. It's still done differently by different people and there's still a policy advocacy role for BHP in helping to find those standards and then drive them as a leader in the industry across the sector and across our peers, lots of that is done central. I work alongside the central team work very closely. Actually, after this, I'm giving another talk with the head of a division we call carbon management. And amongst other things, we do look at carbon accounting standards. We look at startups and established companies trying to drive those standards and how can we, as BHP, help them do so. Ultimately, as it becomes mainstream and the standards are settled, I think you'll see it integrate into our standard accounting systems and then report it like all other metrics. We do report from site up on it, but, you know, our standard corporate accounting systems are being adjusted real time as those standards are being adjusted. So it's sort of a work in progress in that regard. But I think in time, I can't see any reason, and in fact, I see many reasons why it should be reported alongside all other financial and other operating metrics. And in terms of the incentives as they exist today, and this is not really a BHP specific question, but given where the mining industry is and where it needs to go in terms of a cleaner, more sustainable, more just future, how much of the change that needs to occur can be motivated by good business decisions alone? And how much of it requires intervention in some form, whether it be in the form of carrot or in the form of stick? Can I play back your question? You asked me how much of the change will come voluntarily from big companies like a BHP versus being mandated by a regulator or No, that's not quite the question. No, no. What I'm asking is if BHP were only optimizing for itself and its financial performance, how much of the right decisions would just naturally happen because it's going to be better and better business and how much of it needs some external involvement to ensure that it happens and happens expediently. And then a follow-up is how much of that external involvement needs to be stick and how much of it needs to be carrot, knowing that I'm not asking about BHP specifically, I'm asking about the mining industry overall. 
I think it's company dependent, but I think that you're seeing both. I think a Pagan, very much stick-based. Like I think if you ask that question to most mining executives over two, three decades ago, it would have been stick-based. We've done what you need to do to keep taking stuff out of the market. I think it's a very different world now. I think that people understand that, you know, this is a catch cry we say, social value is good business. It's good business. It motivates our people. It helps get us the best people. It motivates our communities to, to help our, our sites operate. I think we see that. It helps our relationships across the value chain, including with regulators. I think doing the right thing is important for business, and I think BHP's recognised that for since the late 90s and earlier we voluntarily made several commitments ahead of peers. I think our peers recognise that too. I think now you're seeing a lot, even in the way of carrot, you're seeing large mining companies make commitments and actually go and build new business platforms in areas around renewables and sustainability, not just anymore to preserve what they're already doing, but actually to, to create new profit centres. I think people are seeing the end of markets for their goods change. I think people are starting to see green premia emerge in their commodities. Like if we can say that our, much like your, there's a fair trade organic stamp on, on food, I see a world whereby, and I think others see this world, whereby the commodities we extract are marketed as green. Green BHP nickel in your car battery or green X in your iPhone 17. Like I think we see that world emerging. So I think you're starting to see a shift to carrot and I think that that's really understood amongst mining companies today and people are working extremely hard to try to find ways to capture that opportunity. Does that answer your question? It does, yeah. And it's, you know, we are 30 minutes into the discussion before I finally ask you about your group, but... So uh, i just make one other comment on that. I'm just thinking one uh other thing you said. Many times it's also just a pure operating cost trade-off. Like I think about our copper operations you know, we've shifted to at some of the world's biggest operations in Escondida, I mean, Chile. We've shifted to, and we're talking publicly about this, you know, 100% renewable energy by mid-2020s. That's quite incredible. And we're doing that for economic reasons. We're not doing that because, I mean, yes, it's the right thing to do and it's fantastic, but the renewable energy available to us is cheaper than other forms of energy now. It's a good business decision. And if I and coming back to you and what you're about to ask on my group, if I can help drive the technologies to make more of those good business decisions available, fantastic. So now the ventures group where you live, can you talk a bit about the history of that group, when it got going, why it got going, and what that evolution has looked at, and of course how that kind of dovetails into where you sit and what the group's charter is today? Yes, yeah, sure. In a way, it's an easy answer because it's short, but it's also long. I mean, BHP tried ventures, you know, as you know, to corporate venture is not a new thing. It's had its high-profile successes and high-profile failures for decades. I think we're seeing this time it's a bit different. I think we're seeing corporate ventures act a bit more like financial ventures and trying to operate in a far more, pardon the pun, but sustainable fashion and a competitive and commercial fashion. BHP tried ventures decades ago that was quite different we've looked at technologies in-house and we continue to do so amongst our technology team and other teams but the actual group BHP Ventures is something that I came back to the company passionate about for me so you know we're pretty much a year in maybe mm, to the day almost give or take a year since we sort of said right let's give this a go this was something that 
the company is familiar with that I came back to drive passionate about not just BHP ventures or venture opportunities being a way to help provide insight in the external world, but actually to help develop technologies that we can apply to drive innovation in our sites today. And that includes in terms of environmental footprint, but also I think an appetite to see new business lines. You know, at the start of this year, that's now ending, we had a change in CEO. And I think with that, the impetus to look at future-facing commodities to drive even further change has been even further magnified and intensified. And BHP Ventures is a part of, you know, the corporate toolkit, as they say. I sit under the Chief Development Officer's function, and I think that's telling too, in that we see this as it's not just a climate opportunity, it's not just a technology opportunity, it's a growth opportunity. For most of the year, the team's just been me, which has been painful, but we've now grown. Got team members out in the US, out elsewhere in Australia. We're growing elsewhere globally, and I think that's something else that we bring as a venture. Is it you know unique access to Asia and parts of Europe? We're a very global company, so I want BHP Ventures to reflect that. So yeah, we're sort of at the infancy of our journey, and we're only a year in, but we are moving quickly, and it's quite exciting. And what is the the charter? of the group in terms of what kinds of investments are you looking for and what is the job of those investments for BHP? It's a great question. It's been a bit of a learning journey as I've gone through the past year because, to be honest with you and fully transparent, we didn't know when we started. So like, this is a good idea. I mean, there's a bit of thought to it and debate, and, but we just said, like, like everything, like you got to get going. We didn't want to be too corporate about corporate venture. We want to be more venture than corporate and more nimble. And, and, you know, part of this is being sort of beacon on the hill, like is open for business and we're commercial. And we didn't need to sit there in whiteboards with expensive consultants for months and months trying to plan this out. Let's just get moving and work it out as to how we'll venture work for BHP. And I think we've landed on that, which is, you know, there are teams at our sites, teams in technology and teams elsewhere that are driving incredible technologies and that's in-house builds, that's relationships with our suppliers and our customers and, you know, and all sorts of programs. I looked at a lot of those operational enabling technologies for a long time and still will look at them. But ultimately that's being done by many others and being done well. Also for a company of our size and scale with our low risk profile and emphasis on safety, you're not going to see us going with a tiny emerging startup to risk people's lives and risk billions of dollars of product with something at site. It's just unlikely. So where does early stage venture belong? Often it's at the longer, you know, longer dated, higher risk sort of areas. And for me, it's it's future growth platforms. There's few others in the company outside of M&A that can occupy what I call that white space of corporate venture. And that's growth. And, and for me, there's three limbs to the strategy. One is growth in, in our so-called future-facing commodities. How do we find more or extract more of the commodities the world needs going forward. So copper is a very difficult to extract commodity. There aren't many more really large tier one high quality deposits someone's just stumbling over like they might have once upon a time. We know where copper is. It's how do we get it out of the ground? How do we get it out of the ground in an economic way? What are the technologies that help drive that? Nickel, again, how do we help get it out of the ground? How do we, and then how do we also identify some of those deposits in areas we may not have been able to, to date with current technology, been able to identify. 
So that could be, you know, an AI machine learning platform applied to exploration. That could help us in, in sort of identifying more resource. From an extraction technology, there could be innovative in situ leaching technologies or other forms of building technologies, the deep copper resources that couldn't be extracted before economically um, or sustainably now can. So sort of growing our future-facing commodities. The next limb I would say is sort of horizontal growth. So you look at our commodity base, you know, what else could we do horizontally and vertically, I should say, across into new energies? You know, BHP today is not in certain energy sets, but our capabilities would actually lend us perfectly to be a provider of those. And many of those zero or low carbon energies and have a strong demand that if you look at what BHP, are we a mining company? Not really. Are we an iron ore company or a lead company or a coal company? We've been all of the above at different times. But going forward, what are we? We're, we're a company that knows how to find, develop, extract, move, and then market resource across complex stakeholder value chains. So how can the ventures group see technologies to help grow into that? And then the last thing of the growth channel is just new platforms altogether. I touched upon that earlier, like could carbon removal or drawdown be a business line for BHP one day? I think so. Could a circular economy sort of mining as a service or a cyclability business be a business for BHP one day? Possibly. Is there anyone else in the company that could, you know, see an opportunity to do that? Not really. We could strategize and think about it. But BHP Ventures allowed us to actually learn firsthand, seed and then de-risk a possible future entry into those areas. So, you know, in terms of where I play, that means it's quite early on. You know, we'll look at any stage where you have the flexibility as a corporate venture to be sort of stage agnostic, check size agnostic, et cetera. But where I find myself focusing is sort of C to Series B, sweet spot Series A. We like to invest alongside sophisticated investors. We like to invest where we can bring more than capital. There's a lot of capital in the world. We can write much bigger checks than your average seed or Series A or B round. We don't like to just be money. We like to be able to open up our business, our know-how, our capabilities to mutually unlike value with our companies. So hopefully that gives you some color. Are you set up like a fund or are you doing investments off balance sheet? We look, feel, and smell like a fund, but the investments from a structural perspective are off balance sheet. And then do you measure yourselves against the things that funds typically measure themselves against for return and you know cash on cash and IRR and all the other lingo I'm still learning as a new professional investor? Yeah, I mean, this is a discipline that I have. I'm, whilst I'm a social and environmental crusader and passionate about the, uh, the causes in which I invest and passionate about the company with whom I'm investing, I'm also at heart a believer in markets. And I think that good companies that do good for BHP, that do good for society, will also do well financially. Without a sustainable end market, I don't believe the company will work. So I, I am financially minded. I mean, ultimately, this is going to be, and this like I am measured by the company on how we perform strategically primarily because ultimately the value that we bring to the company through one investment at one site or in one area would just dwarf the amount of money we're getting in place. Like if you're talking multi-billion dollar businesses and you get a small incremental improvement in one, it's going to you know, absolutely dwarf the, even the most incredible top decile funds returns in terms of value creation. So adding value to the company either in the size that I have, but more so in terms of future optionality is where primarily I'm sort of motivated to focus. But I have financial 
metrics that I need to meet. I will run the team using the standard venture operational metrics and financial performance metrics in time because I think it's a good discipline. I think it's crucial to attract the best co-investors, the best companies and the best people into the operation here because I think all of those partners want to partner with people that in addition to doing good, in addition to creating value for BHP, they want to make money. And, and I want BHP Ventures to be able to partner with those people and create value with them. And I guess this is maybe in the weeds a little bit, but just given that I might, that I know founders will, will want to know these kinds of things if they go to raise money from BHP. Do you take board seats? Do you have information rights? Is that a, Are those mandatory? Look, again, we're trying to be commercial. We want to be seen as commercial investors. So information rights and things like that are important to us. We're not going to demand something that's completely non-market or disproportionate size stake or the value that we're bringing. And we look at those things together. Most investments we look at, yeah, we look to agree a side letter with the company. That side letter will, it'll depend on the company. And often it's two ways and adds value to the company. It might provide them access to our sites, our people. It might provide access to our value chain, et cetera. Information rights are important. Board seats, board observer seats, all the usual things are important. Will we demand exclusivity? No, because it kills the company. But are there areas where a confined exclusive relationship makes sense and adds two-way value? Yeah. So we're going to be nimble and responsive to what makes sense. Could we look at co-developing certain applications, be it in certain commodities or certain geographies or certain technology areas? Yeah. And, and I like to think we can be quite creative in deal structure. But the commercial, we're not going to demand something that's wholly uncommercial. And in terms of that strategic alignment, do you find, and maybe it's just too early to know, I don't know how many investments you've made to date, which I, I should probably ask you at some point, but- I won't answer. <laughs> but is the, does the commercial partnership, is that typically where the relationship starts and then the investment comes later? Is it the other way around? Is it, are they mutually dependent? It's a bit of all, all of the above. I mean, some of the best deal flows are through people down at sites. People say, hey, this company came to me, don't know. We love them. What they're doing is fantastic. And I look at them and say, wow, this company's actually got a really big potential market and it hasn't even captured it and we could help them. That's really interesting. It's, you know, being plugged into those people's sites, incredible as a source of deal flow. Some of them come from peers in other sectors. We get a lot of deal flow from some very friendly oil and gas major CVC funds we like to work with because it's just a natural fit. Some of them come from our suppliers and their CVC funds, or just themselves. Some of them come from, you know, many other Silicon Valley climate tech investors who say, hey, this could be an application. Some of them come from prior guests on your show. Some of them come from me listening to your show and cold emailing or calling people, and some come from academia. So it's all sorts. And often it depends on the company. Like if I find a company through my network externally, it can be challenging to try to plug it in internally, but sometimes that's where we deliver the greatest value. And given that some of these investments take years to know how successful they're going to be, and you are doing off-balance sheet investing, I'm, I'm imagining that each year there's some sort of budgeting process. What are the key things that you think your upper management wants to see, say, on an annual basis to look at to know how you're doing and how they should think about budgeting for the following year? It's a really hard question. As I said, we're still at the early stage of our journey, so we're learning. I do think that there's a commitment from top management that this is a long-term endeavour. I think we understand fully that 
one of the failures of corporate venture is that it's seen as tourist capital that comes and goes. And then it's, it's pulled back as the next CEO comes in. I think BHP accepts that we need to be here and be good partners for the long term, and this is about the long term. Down to your question on annual KPIs and then what that means for next year's budget. I mean, we do seek in our budgeting process and our, our capital allocation framework Mining as a sector is a very long-term sort of oriented. We're very used to making decisions in decades, if not centuries. That's some of our project-level decisions. So I think we do look ahead a number of years and we do budget for a number of years. So I think there is capital there for follow-on rounds. And I do, where appropriate, seek pre-approval for follow-on commitments to make sure that there is good, good investors going forward. As for annual measures of success, it is early. But we do recognise there's obviously financial measures, but like in any fund, you're not going to see markups like that for, you know, in your early years. It just doesn't happen. There's forms of strategic value in terms of implementations at site that we might comp and measure, but many of the things I'm investing at are outside of the business. As I said, they're sort of new commodities, new verticals. So some of that value is conferred through insights. So we'll, you know, look to engage with the different stakeholders in the company and maybe beneficiaries or interested readers of those insights and how do they value them. And then many of them are just going to be traditional venture metrics on a company itself. Like is this company meeting its operational plans, meeting its financial plans? Is it progressing as expected, even if it hasn't been a financial or valuation markup? So I think in the early stages, particularly investing outside of things that are applicable at site, we're going to measure things like a normal venture fund would who's doing the same. And then for anyone that's listening that is working on stuff that might be relevant for you, who do you want to hear from and how should they get in touch? I want to hear from a bit of everyone and everyone, Jason. I say that and I already regret it because we're swamped with deal flow. We're lucky, actually, maybe lucky, maybe smart, maybe stupid, I'm not sure, to be amongst if not the first of traditional mining company that has a or that has a corporate venture arm. And the amount of people say, wow, this could actually be really interesting in our business is uh, is incredible. So who do we want to hear from? We want to hear from founders. We love hearing directly from founders. We have founders of investable businesses in areas, you know, that align with the strategy that we discussed. We want to hear from other investors. We're always looking for great partners. We're privileged to have some already. We're always interested in more. Other corporates that want to share ideas. How to get in touch. I mean, at the moment, email me. <laughs> it's pretty nimble. We're, we are in the process of setting up various avenues through social media, et cetera. But I'm, one of the things I'm careful of is we don't want to be like many others out there singing from the tops, hey, look at us, we're doing all this. This is not a publicity game. This is a, a real business investment game. And we're building this properly before we go out and market it. And we've got a portfolio and I want to keep growing that portfolio before we get too public about it. But, you know, through the show notes, I'll provide you a few ways that, that people can get in touch. Sounds great. And anything I didn't ask you that I should have or any parting words for listeners? No, I mean, I guess I just want to reiterate that I now live and breathe this daily. Maybe less so that I'm not walking through the corridors because of a, you know, no one's in the office at the moment these days. But mining companies externally, and particularly probably amongst many listeners, are seen as dirty. And they have been. There's this image of this dirty-faced coal miner and burning chimneys. Like I really encourage people to look at some of BHP's operations, read our reports, do the same with our peers and understand that it's part of the solution. And the technologies that you might think are disrupting mining are actually perfectly 
built within and in partnership with companies like ours. And we're not doing this just to greenwash. We're doing this because it's the future of the business. I think people see that and people are excited by that. And there's massive amounts of inbuilt knowledge, capital, employees that can be applied to helping founders grow their businesses and doing so in geographies that people haven't thought of. So I just encourage people to think creatively because I'm trying to do the same and challenge myself. That's really it. And hopefully, you know, we like to think of ourselves and we are a global company, but down here in Australia, we like to have fun. You know, let's let's build these things together and have fun. So I guess that's it. Sounds great. Well, I can almost guarantee that you are going to get flooded with inbound from this episode, whether you like it or not. Can you filter Definitely. it for me? <laughs> We can do our best or we, we kind of might just throw you to the wolves and see what comes of it. But this was great, Mark. It's really fascinating for me to learn more about the mining industry, especially from such a leader like BHP. And I think it's fascinating to think about the transition that the industry is going through. And BHP in many ways seems to be pioneering that effort. And it's also really interesting to think about how the venture arm fits in and what that means kind of working backwards into like the innovation happening from zero and how that might ultimately tie in and integrate and, and help facilitate this this transition. So yeah. Thank you. great episode and can't wait to see how this plays out. And uh, I'll be watching closely to see when some of the announcements happen with your investments as well. Thanks, Jason. Thanks for your time. And thanks for listening to me because it's we're on a learning journey. No doubt if we talk again in a month, a year, two years, it's going to be very different. So thank you for having me and I found it enjoyable. Thank you. Hey everyone, Jason here. Thanks again for joining me on my climate journey. If you'd like to learn more about the journey, you can visit us at myclimatejourney.co. Note that is .co, not .com. Someday we'll get the .com, but right now, .co. You can also find me on Twitter at jjacobs22, where I would encourage you to share your feedback on the episode or suggestions for future guests you'd like to hear. And before I let you go, if you enjoyed the show, please share an episode with a friend or consider leaving a review on iTunes. The lawyers made me say that. Thank you. Thank you.